We're excited because we're talking about hot jobs, and uh, we have some folks coming from all over the different sectors uh, of, of manufacturing and of, of workforce development. But first, we want to uh, jump in and get an update on uh, uh, what's happening with uh, what was formerly the largest employer of Erie County, uh, the the former GE Transportation, uh, now known as Wabtec. With us is Jim Martin from the Erie Times News and GoErie.com. Welcome, Jim. Joel, thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. And uh, by the way, happy three-month anniversary to the show. <laughs> Thank Congratulations you. on that. <laughs> we, yeah, we, we, uh, we, it feels like a year, but no, wow. no, we're excited. Hey, we, this is a family show. We like to get a little origin story. Where did you grow up and how did you get to Erie eventually? Uh, I started out in Mercer County, uh, started in journalism at the uh, Oil City Derrick. Wow. Moved on to the Sharon Herald, and I'd gone to college in Erie and then uh, came to the Erie Times News in 1996. Fantastic. Did you go to school down in Mercer County or uh, uh, high school? I mean? High school in Lakeview. And then, uh, oh my gosh, to, yeah, District 10, right? Right, right. Sure. I went to uh, college at Penn State Barron and uh, worked on the student newspaper there and uh, was eager to get back to Erie. And, uh, the Barron Banner? No. Well, it, it's the beacon these the beacon, days. beacon, yeah. In the good old days, it was the Barron Collegian. The Collegian, which yes. Which is what I still, it's still in my heart, yeah. I remember when, well, and they, I don't know if they still do it, but uh, the big the big campus would put out a daily. Yeah, yeah they still do. Is yeah. that right? Wow. We, we were weekly, and that was plenty for us. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of work. Uh, yeah. When you're when you're a volunteer college student, okay. So uh, you 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 specialize in business reporting, right? right? I mean, you're basically responsible for the the big, huge. Um, annual report of the community or for much of that content that is really the most valuable paper of the year i think well thanks like that that's a, it's a group effort we all pitch in on that but it's mm -hmm. it's a lot of coordination yeah and uh and of course uh you know this is this whole sale of ge transportation to Wabtech is really recent news um but maybe you can give us some background on GE because, uh, again, they're they're kind of they've always been the the eight hundred pound gorilla in the room as far as a manufacturer and as far as an employer um, uh, up until very very recently, right? Yeah, it was always the company the community called you know Generous Electric, <laughs> uh, and, and uh, you know of course in some recent years some of the employees began to think they weren't so generous, mm -hmm. despite you know despite to this day paying some, you know as no longer GE but paying some very good wages there. But, you know, things have gotten more contentious in recent years. And and what were contract negotiations every four years got got tougher and, and tougher each each time around. But sometimes somehow they managed to not have a strike for over for basically 50 years. And because some of your reporting has been, hey, this is what it looked like back in 1969. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, there, there was no strike. But each time, every four years, over the last few cycles, it seemed like there was, you know, at least at least in the last few years, it seemed like there was a price that was paid mm -hmm. after after negotiations. I mean, they would settle, they would they would resolve their differences, they would they would hammer out an agreement. But there would there were cases where you saw, you know, after you know afterwards, they would come back to the table. GE in a couple cases said, hey, we want to cut some jobs after after this was resolved. Right. Like they, they kept on they kept on trying to renegotiate the, the, what they thought was a closed uh, right. contract, right? That's certainly how the union looked at it. Yeah. And then we would see them go back in and do what they called effects bargaining. Oh, wow. 
And um, then you would have reopen negotiations and they would bargain over whether or not the union had a better idea to avoid these job cuts. Mm-hmm. And, and so the union usually would present some kind of, you know, some kind of a alternative if they, if they wanted to do some effects bargaining right. or. Okay. And, and basically you never saw that. You never saw that go anywhere. Yeah. It, it really, um, it, it probably had to get bad. Number one, when management moved to Chicago, right. And then when they opened up the Fort Worth plant, I would think. Yeah. It, Things seem to be in a downhill slide. You know, there's, there's that sort of a one-two punch. When what do you hear about Fort Worth? Uh, have you been there? Yeah, well, I was there. I went down. I, I, I like to get back, frankly. I went mm-hmm. down as they were setting up the plant, talked to the plant manager at the time. So I got some insight in sort of the Fort Worth culture, the Fort Worth, the vibe of what, what the community was like, saw the plant as they were setting it up. I've not been back. I mean, we, you hear these things that, again, there's so many rumors or, again, I have absolutely no knowledge base about this. But from what you hear is that, oh, you know, they make a they make a locomotive and then they send it to Erie to get fixed or something like that. And or that there that plant was made for one specific domestic locomotive and anything that's a special order they have to do in Erie. How much of that stuff is true that you hear? Well, I mean, the unions has made the case for quite a while that they were set up to do a mass produced locomotive. But you know, in 2016, the summer of 2016, the company was essentially saying, no, they're going to make everything. But then you saw them late last year, clearly back away from that. The, you know, the company was maintaining, and I, I kept, I kept calling them in this repeatedly. I, I'd call and say, Hey, are you sticking with this timetable? Are you going to cut, shut down locomotive production at the end of 2018, I was told repeatedly, yes, we are. That's still the plan. But we got later and later into 2018, and that wasn't happening. They were continuing to make at least some locomotives here in Erie. Was the workforce decreasing at all, Jim, that you know of? Or did it say, st- st- did they do all of the, all the layoffs that they were projecting? No, they didn't. Okay. Um, you know, there'd been some some really big layoffs prior to that. There was the, what, 14, I don't remember the exact number right now. There'd been a mass layoff uh, a year or two prior. But there was supposed to be another 500 or so layoff that took place during the latter part of the year or during the course of that year. That never really happened. Mm-hmm. And there was, you know, a stabilization. And as Scott Slauson, the union president, put it, you know, as long as there's work, we're going to keep getting work right and it seemed that that was the case and the orders the you know the salespeople are still out in the field they're still selling uh you know these big orders here and there uh one of uh, we're talking to jim martin he's from the uh erie times news and goerie.com if you have a question for jim six seven nine ten eighty he is the expert uh on on this topic here um you know the, i was going to say the um uh, there, you know, you hear about these kits and you hear about, you know, doing more, uh, you know, that they were spreading out the, cons- the assembly of the locomotives around the world. India uh, wanted them to, what, build a plant uh, in, in deep into India's they uh, did. frontier? They, they took uh, great expense and, you know, built a multi-billion dollar plant in India and it was sort of reminiscent of what they'd done, you know, 100 years ago in Lawrence Park where wow. they where they built a community only at a much greater, I won't say expense, but, you know, much, a much more difficult build. They, you know, they, they 
went into a community with with really no infrastructure, no you know, no electricity. They they hauled thousands of truckloads of fill in to build a plant there. Now that's become sort of the way things are done in big manufacturing around the world. Everyone wants this buy-in. Everyone wants if you're building in a for a foreign country, you know, that's not GE. That's that's sort of everyone. That's wow. what they want. They want they want to be a part of that. It's it's very understandable. I mean, well, it's why BMW is building BMWs here in, in the United States, right? I mean, and sometimes we win that. Yeah, you know, sometimes we're the winner in that. Mm-hmm. We build Subarus, we build Toyotas, we build whatever. Right, and that works to our advantage sometimes. So okay, so let's let's fast forward to uh, you know the the CEO of GE is looking to spin off. GE transportation, even though it was, it's always been a profitable concern, a profitable unit, just not very large, right? In relative scale. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it seems large to us, you know, it employed thousands of people, but for GE scale, no. So they spun it off. They found a, a suitor. Uh, how, how much was the sale? Do you know? Uh, there are so many different ways to figure <laughs> this. They called it an $11 billion sale, but yet $2.9 billion in cash was exchanged. It's 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 so very complicated. I mean, for that average GE stockholder, they now own some Wabtec stock, right? Correct, correct. Yeah. You still held on to your GE stock, but you got a chunk of Wabtec. Or if you owned a small piece of of GE stock, you got a check for your GE stock. Okay, yeah, and they just kind of bought it out, right? And and of course, we don't even want to go there, where you know you've got retirees and just people still working. And having to work longer because they're, you know, they might have their majority, the majority of their portfolios in GE stock, and it's just totally tanked Absolutely. in the last couple of years. Absolutely, a lot of people put a whole lot of faith in the the GE retirement plan being GE stock. Yeah, yeah. You think about how uh, in the glory days, maybe you know when you first started covering them, they were doing two for one stock splits, and you know. Uh, it was a go-go stock on the Well, on the they used Dow. to talk about it. It was as good as owning a mutual fund because it was, you know, it was entertainment. It was, it was everything. Right. Yeah. It was diversified. So they started shopping uh, the transportation uh, company and Wabtec was pretty much the only bidder, right? You know, there may have been internal bidders that we never heard about. I don't know. Yeah. But Wabtec's the one that rose to the fore. And, and we heard from a lot of you know, analysts and such said this this was a good fit mm-hmm. as as these things go. And what has Wabtec been doing before they bought this big locomotive company? Well, you know, it started as Westinghouse Air Brakes, and um, you know, it's a company with a long history in in sort of an adjacent or similar field. They they did a lot of business with GE Transportation. They built air brakes for these locomotives. Um, they themselves built some smaller type of locomotives were they more into the like like transit and things absolutely they build things for transit it's a they themselves were a a slightly smaller revenue company but with actually a lot more employees in ge transportation and then you have the competitors you you have what caterpillar was right right right? and is did gm get out of the business the electromotive well ge became you know became emd and then Caterpillar body EMD. Okay. And frankly, I mean, Caterpillar itself is doing well, but that div- the locomotive division sort of fell behind GE okay. in the last 
six, eight years. Probably. So the Evolution Series right now is the state of the art, is the Absol- locomotive absolutely. around the world, right? Absolutely. Okay. So again, this is a this is a locomotive that's engineered in Erie, Pennsylvania. It is sold around the world. It is built. Uh, still, lots are built in Erie as well as at that Fort Worth plant. And some of these other plants, right, are kind of building out. Are they building out from scratch or from kits that are that are made of core components here in Erie, Grove City, and Fort Worth? Do you mean like the foreign? Yeah, plants? like the foreign plants. Yeah. Well, what's happening with a lot of those foreign plants is they'll they'll take you know, and get a few kits from Erie. They'll build those. But after a while, they're sourcing and building their own. I believe Is that right? In India, I believe they're building their own units there now. So right, right. You know, the, the Eventually big they're in, building it on innards their own. and all that stuff. Incredible. We're talking to Jim Martin. He is from the uh, Erie Times News. We're, and so, okay, so Wabtec, uh, they, they do the negotiation and the takeover was at the end of February, February right? February 25th was the first day, I believe. And uh, they were trying to negotiate some kind of a startup union contract. Can you explain that? Yeah, I mean, they were prepared to um, institute the rules. Hey, these are the rules of the road. This is how we're going to do things. But they did give the union an opportunity. From the union standpoint, they, they were prepared to negotiate for far too short of a t- period of time. It was... Mm. I think it was less than 10 days, you know, and the unions take that wasn't long enough right. to start from the ground up to negotiate a contract. Um, Wabtec was saying, hey, if we can't negotiate something in this period of time, when we take over, these are our rules. This is our work rules. This is what, this is how we're going to do things. And there were some big uh, changes, something about that no longer was there a pension, that it would... It was all going to 401ks and things. Yeah, I mean, that, that's one that they're, they're basically going to have to live with regardless. And I think they kind of have accepted that. But they still, do they, did, did all of their vesting in that pension go away or it just, it just kind of stopped and now they have to go to something different? Yeah, I, I, believe, that, I believe that that's something that, yes, it's gone away. GE pensions, you know, that's something I think they've just sort of accepted and they're wow. not even, you know, that's 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 incredible, really. Yeah. Um, again, we're talking to Jim Martin. He's from the Erie Times News. If you have a question for him, six seven nine ten eighty. So uh, they 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 reach the date where they're they're signing on the dotted line, uh, taking over GE Transportation. And again, this is a far flung business. This has plants Erie, Grove City, uh, Fort Worth, uh, other places around the world, and, and Wabtec is taking this over. Uh, but in Erie, there's there's a union problem. There's a labor problem. Can you explain what the what the rub was? It just not enough time to negotiate the work rules. Well, it it was it was a couple things. I mean, there was there was a, a number of issues they couldn't come to terms on. In fact, in fact, all of the issues they couldn't come to terms on. But the, the big ones for the from the company's perspective, and I think for the unions as well. The, um, really the two biggest issues were the two-tier wage structure. Um, the company conceded that, hey, we're going to let you keep your, your current wages for current employees. but we're go- And those current wages, as the company calculates them, are an average of $35 an hour, which is you know the top manufacturing wage in this community. But for new employees and for anyone we call back to the job, it's going to be an average of $16.75 to $25. Now, that's probably actually sounds better than maybe it is, because 
the company's wage starts out at 80% of that. Right. If, you, if you're brand new, you get 80%. Right. And you phase in over a couple of years. Mm-hmm. So 1675 becomes 1340. So it's- Now you're talking, it's hard to even compete with- uh, you know, retail or, or right. some you're, of the service jobs. Right. So if you're at the low end of that, you know, well, you can do your own calculations and how you feel about that. Everyone has, everyone has understandably a different take Yeah. on, on what that means. Um, uh, the other issue, the other big, I mean, there, there's numerous, there are numerous issues, but the other big issue, um, and they, and the, the, the two sides seem very far apart in this, is the ability to schedule mandatory overtime. Okay, so scheduling mandatory overtime. So, so, the, so the bosses already know that we want you to stay over. It's not one of those things where, can we just get this done today? It's, it's like, we, we're going to be short all week, so we need you to stay over. Right. You know, and I've talked to Greg Sprocco, a company vice president, who said, hey, we're... Go ahead, I'm sorry. <laughs> It, it shocked me for a second. Go ahead. Uh, who, who is, who has said that, that um, you know, we're going to be, we're going to be fair about this. We're not going to abuse you. We just want the ability to schedule this when we need, need to meet customer demands. And then what is, what is the union's response to that, Jim? The union's response is that it's no way to live. Mm-hmm. Their response is that, you know, they need to hire more people, hire more people. Right. It, it, basically to face you know, face the inevitability that if we're going to grow this there, would you say that at, at the brink of the takeover, there was maybe some optimism false or otherwise that by having a firm, so uh, headquarters, so close to Erie that maybe that would just be nothing but a win for Erie. I know what I heard. I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure if, if, if Scott Slauson was, was trying to just project positivity and, okay. and, and you know, it could I, be, yeah. but he was, he was certainly speaking very positively about it. You know, he was, he was going in with a very positive attitude. And then, and then they, it, they couldn't come to grips at, at that moment. So within 24 hours, they were on, they were on the picket lines. Right. They? And I will say, you know, at the end of the strike, he again expressed that same sort of positivity. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, again, I, I don't know, uh, I've posted a story this afternoon on Go Erie, um, reading from it, basically this is, they posted an update on the website this afternoon, basically saying they've resolved a couple, they don't refer to them specifically of non-economic issues, but then they, they go on to say, we're very far apart on everything else. Wow. Wow. And that's almost a month into negotiations. There's a couple months left. Um, you know. Maybe as maybe they're like journalists, and as as deadline gets nearer, things will uh, pressure will pick up, and they'll and they'll you know things will get. Uh, it know. usually goes a little bit that way, where where you know it, you really need to face that deadline, right? But uh, uh, I, I, what you know uh, they were able to they were able to come back very quickly. Again, those those uh, union workers were out in the coldest weather of the winter. Absolutely. I mean, it was it was really a nasty week to be on the picket lines. Yeah, there was some very it was very cold weather, and they were out there twenty four hours a day. And there was some argument back and forth. I'm sure that you know everybody's kind of staking positions, uh, but for the most part, it was a peaceful protest, wouldn't you say? Or you know, there was divi- there was some division on that. I mean, I think for the most part, it was for most people. I think 
I think there was some acknowledgement that for some people, emotions ran high. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and again, a lot of those, uh, uh, most, well, probably all of those guys, unless they work for another firm, they've never been on strike before. I mean, because we're talking another generation of workers. Yeah. I mean, as GE Transportation, they did a couple of, I don't think you'd call them a strike. They did a few, I think they may have been four hour walkouts over the last 10 years. Or Informational something. pickets. Pretty much. Yeah. You know, where you walk off and it just to sort of make a point for mm-hmm. a few hours, but not strikes, not like this. Yeah. So it, somehow they were able to bring it back together and, and get back to work. What, what were, what, what, when push came to shove, what was that all about? I think it was the federal mediator. I really do. Oh. Um, this was something that, that the union had been pushing for. They, they'd said, Hey, give us 30 days. And I, 30 days may have been seen as too short. Mm-hmm. Give us some time to, uh, to get to know each other. Give us some time at, you know, this, this 10 days or whatever we had isn't enough. Give us some time to get to know each other. Give us some time. Um, you know, it's going to take a while. Yeah. So that, so they, they were able to kind of come together. They're back. Uh, uh, it, so what, what, what do you think is the best answer for Erie? How does this thing shake out, uh, you know, for the community to benefit the most? Would you have, can you be a prognosticator at all? I mean, I won't say whether or not they should take, for instance, I won't say whether or not they should take a two tier wage. Right. That That's for them to decide, but they've, you know, the best thing for Erie is clearly a settlement as opposed to a strike here. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, James Grunke, the new CEO of the Erie Chamber, has run some numbers through a, you know, a, basically a, an economic simulator. And, you know, you show, he showed me two sets of things. One is what happens if Erie ends up getting 500 new jobs at Wabtech. And it's, it's, you know, it shows a great economic impact. But then if you show taking away the 1,700 manufacturing jobs now, it's an economic loss of, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. Incredible. Yeah. It is a little obnoxious for the company to say that, uh, that the wages that GE workers make are, uh, are not in line with the market, you know, because, because uh, again, like, like you're saying, when you start offering $13 an hour, you know, as on that second tier, that's that's not in the market either. We, there's lots of folks that are, you know, in, in up at the mall making more than that, you know. Um, and so, you know, how how do you how do you rectify just that kind of concept that, you know, even though even though we're building basically the the land equivalent of a Boeing uh, a Boeing aircraft here, um, you're it's not worth thirty five bucks an hour. You know, I'm not going to say what they should make or shouldn't, sure. shouldn't make. And I hear, I hear a lot from both sides. I really do. I, this is a, probably the most hot button issue for people to pick up a phone and call me. And I hear frustrated people in the business community calling and saying, you know, they don't want to see these jobs away. Some of them are people who are suppliers to GE. Right. And they're frustrated and they want to see the union settle and maybe, maybe take a little less. Mm-hmm. But it is interesting from another perspective that the union members who are voting in this, they're not going to lose money. If they, it's, it's the future generation right. that's, that's going to lose money that they're kind of protecting here. Yeah. And, and so how that shakes out is anybody's guess? Yeah, yeah. I think so. 
Jim Martin from GoErie.com and the Erie Times News. You have a you have a new article and I would imagine new ink on paper article in the in the paper tomorrow. That's correct. In the in the Wednesday edition, and uh, it it'll be so interesting how this all plays out. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time with us today to give us an update. And uh, if you don't mind, we'd love to call you once you know if something big breaks and kind of get your opinion on it. That'd be awesome. Glad to do it, Joel. No All righty. So what are the jobs that are out there in Erie? Where are the big needs? Where's the big reward and the growth opportunities? And so we're glad to have uh, on, uh, on our uh, microphones here, Jim Willats. She, he is from Machining Concepts uh, and also is involved with the Erie Together Career Pathways and the Erie Regional Manufacturer Partnership. Thank you for coming, Jim. Oh, you're welcome. And we have John Stahl. He is the uh, Human Resources Manager at Lord Corporation, also involved with the Erie Regional Manufacturer Partnership. You're the president this year, correct? That is correct. Great. Uh, you can step up to that microphone there. Thank you, John. All righty. So uh, this is a family show. We'd like to get some, um, you know, kind of origin stories. John, did you grow up here or did, are you a transplant? or Born and raised. Oh, what high school? Fort LaBeouf. Okay. So we have a bison over here, you know. So this is very much a part of your stomping grounds. Absolutely. Out here in Waterford. Okay. And uh, you went to school for ma- for engineering or manufacturing or yeah, HR? So, or? Yep. I actually went to school for engineering. I graduated from Penn State Barron, okay. uh, MET. And, um, you know, my career has taken me down this path, and now I'm in the HR role at Lord. Oh, good for you. And, uh, Jim, how about you? Uh, uh, Erie boy or transplant? Born and raised in Harbor Creek. Oh, graduated from Harbor Creek High School. So a Husky. Uh, Excellent. Yeah. I went to Penn State in engineering. Wow. And did you did you do some some work at Barron and then go to University Park? Yeah, I or? spent the first two years at Barron, and at that okay. time you had to get your degree. You had to go down to the main campus. Right. Uh, you're, I think we're probably same age or similar. I'm in mid fifties, and well, I'm just a little bit older than that. Okay, because <laughs> <laughs> uh, th- that's exactly uh, the course of action that my buddies did. You know, they were uh, electrical engineers, and so they they did two at Barron, two at uh, University Park, and so and now they're uh, the, the the one fella is. Uh, I think he works for Virginia Tech. They have like a some kind of a, he's an RF. I, I'm an RF, but I'm behind a microphone. He was he was doing satellites. You know what I mean? But uh, uh, same same age group. Okay, so let's talk about the um, you know the jobs that are available in manufacturing. And John, I'll, I'll go to you first. Uh, I mean, as the HR guy, um, how much is recruiting a part of your gig? It's 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 a fair amount now. Is so, it really? Yeah, yeah. My responsibilities are are more related to the operations portion of the business. So right, making um, sure everybody has their benefits uh, correct and all that stuff. Right? And, and so um, recruiting as it relates to jobs and operations, you know, uh, machining, um, you know, operators on the floor, um, maintenance, things like that. Um, that's that's a large part of my role. Okay. And, and Jim, you know, the the narrative in Erie uh, or, or has always been that. There's a hundred applicants for every job out there. Are you experiencing that in 2019? No. In fact, right at the moment, we've probably got 10 jobs for every applicant. Now that is a mind blower. So speak into that. And so like, like at your firm, um, uh, what are some of the openings that you're experiencing right now? Well, right now, Machining Concepts is a contract machining place. So it's a uh, job shop? Which, is that what you call that? It's a job shop, precision okay. machine shop. Mm-hmm. We do jobs for the aerospace, medical, um, high-pressure valve uh, industries. And our, in our precision machining, we have neat individuals that can 
uh, operate, set up, and programs computer-controlled equipment to to hold high-precision parts. So is that like, is that CNC? Not yeah, really. Yeah, CNC. It is CNC? Yeah, as you would see in the papers and uh, so forth, yeah. it would be CNC-type machining. And there's just not enough of those, those people with that kind of... Uh, uh, understanding or education, right? There isn't. Uh, right now, we're doing work for companies in California. We're doing all over the United States. We have more opportunities. We need more people for second shift. And our growth is really depending upon finding the right people. And we're looking for uh, skilled individuals. We can't find them. Uh, people don't have a lot of the skills out there. Uh, and so we're resorting to looking for young people that want to learn. So it, there's an opportunity for uh, teaching them. Uh, is it on the job or is it in these career pathways that we're going to talk about in a second? We're going to talk about the career pathways, but yes, uh, a lot of it's on the job training wow. in apprenticeships. How about Lords? I, 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 I'm sorry. That's the, 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 the eerie vernacular, Lords and GE, and the GE, right? And, and Zerns, but at Lord Corporation, um, are, do we have a similar backlog of, of needs over... Yeah, so it's it, you know we have a little different perspective than than Jim speaking of. I, I think by nature, you know, Lord, um, you know, carries his name in the community. Mm -hmm. So um, we we don't have that same experience that Jim's having. Um, but I will tell you, it's getting more and more difficult to fill some of those tight positions. So machinist type positions, um, it, it's getting a bit challenging. Um, you know, you're spending a lot more time recruiting, a lot more time interviewing because in the past you could have again. 25 applicants that could fill that role, no problem, and you choose the best. Right. Um, it's not that way anymore. Okay, so what do you think has changed? Uh, it, is, has popu is the macro issue that population is decreasing in our region, or is it that uh, so many uh, young people are choosing college as opposed to working at a shop? I, I or, mean, I, uh, or many other ideas, you know? Yeah, so... Jim and I had this conversation before stepping in here and, um, you know, my generation, you know, parents, teachers, counselors, I feel like the, the pressure was college, college, college. There, there wasn't many other options discussed. Right. And and so I think maybe it's just a decrease in, in the overall pool of availability. Yeah. Yeah. It's just the, the choices of. Of, of not understanding that this could be a, a good livelihood for you. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, when, when you were going for that, well, again, you, you came out of college, and so you, you were able to kind of go right into that engineering uh, design work uh, right well, I, away? Or? I started as a design engineer and then yeah. eventually took over uh, the uh, management of, of an engineering department and then of manufacturing and, and so forth. But and we then didn't, eventually started my own company. Right. But we didn't ask the the the, the young people so much as we kind of do now. They need to have a little bit of skill set to come on the floor, don't they? Well, the jobs have really changed. Now, yeah. a lot of your jobs require some type of technical training, but it isn't always the same type of training you get in a four-year college education. Mm -hmm. And especially for like in working at machining concepts, you don't, they don't teach those skills in a traditional four-year college. Now you might get it at the Pennsylvania uh, College of Technology down in Williamsport. They've got specific CNC programs and those types of things. And there are places that do that. But for the most part, a straight college education does not get you those same skills. What about these trade schools? Uh, is, is there a disconnect between what they're teaching and how much it costs to go to a private trade school because we do not have a community college that would typically teach 
like a CNC, right? We don't have that right at the moment in Erie. And, and so, you know, so is, is that a super hindrance for you all or? Well, it's, it's definitely a barrier. Yeah. In that now a lot of that training has to, the, the manufacturer or the company has to take on that role. There are places where you can send uh, students for blueprint reading. It's very non-traditional on how you have to get the training. Oh, wow. And so when you come out of, uh, a typical person comes out of high school, if they don't want to go to college, and if they don't want to go away to like a Williamsport or they don't want to go away from the area, if they get a job first and they start to earn as they begin to learn the trade, they can get in They if they have good basic math skills, if they have good uh, basic problem solving skills, if they've got a good work ethic, employers will teach them a lot on the job. They'll send them away to uh, places to learn some of the things they need to do. Again, John and I were talking before we came in here that, you know, for training, for instance, we need Swiss turn people to operate Swiss turn type machines. Okay. But in order to train those people, we're sending them to Cleveland. Interesting. And if we need someone to be uh, in a computer aided machining uh, and to learn the programming and stuff to do those type of things, we send them down to Philadelphia. So you're saying again, when you talk about um, what we have at um, at Erie High or what we have at the Votech uh, at Erie County, uh, you know, I mean that it's just not enough for you know what you all need as as far as for that walking on the, no, the shop the, floor. The training there is good, and the institutions yeah. are good. The problem is, like at the Erie County Tech School, we were up there uh, for a uh, advisory meeting yeah. and they're graduating 12 to 13 students a year and that doesn't even begin to fill the need so of, of, of what's needed in the area so the training is there is good but there's not enough did your kids go into the trades my uh two sons went into the trade uh they did not go to a four-year college education um my one son took a two-year associate degree in, in maintenance and those types of things. Then he went to the Akuma School in North Carolina uh, to learn all the basic uh, machining functions and repair for uh, the sophisticated CNC equipment. Wow. My other son went to a computer school in Pittsburgh uh, and then came back, and now he's uh, actually learning to, uh, to, to run a business at Machining Concepts. Cool. Yeah, we're, 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 we're seeing that. That, you know, there, there is that push to go, like you were saying, uh, John, that there is that push to go to college, right? Correct. It, it, and, uh, and, and so it, it really, it, it, you have a couple battles there. You've got to convince the young person early enough, and we're going to talk about career pathways in a second, but you also have to convince the parents because sometimes the parents that work in the shop, I mean, that classic GE hammer mill Lord parent or grandparent saying, well, that's not going to be for my kid. Yeah, and, and it's, it's it's interesting because uh, in the 20 years I've been there, I've worked with, uh, you know, some fantastic people and, and machinists, toolmakers, and you talk to them, and, and that is some of the direction they're given to their kids. You know, hey, I've done this for, you know, 30-plus years. Uh, you know, you, you should do something else. This isn't for you. It's, right? it's interesting, though, because they've had the, the four weeks off. They've been able to go on their big Disney World trips. They've been able to, you know— 
have the nice house, you know, as as a shop worker, mm-hmm. it don't it's like it, that disconnect is really kind of interesting to to observe. It's uh, 18 after four o'clock. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back as we talk about we're going to get into career pathways and we're going to talk about the hot jobs. The availability for jobs in this market is unlike uh, maybe it's been in decades, maybe since post-war. Unreal uh, what we're experiencing here in Erie, Pennsylvania. Erie Together is the anti-poverty initiative, and and I'm a part of that as well. And one of the big efforts has been this idea of reaching children ninth grade or even younger to say which. And, and there's almost a there's almost a biblical aspect to this: raising up the kid in the way that they shall go. You know, trying 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 to understand. A, a, a child's bent, what they're good at, if they like to use their hands or maybe are creative. And so there's five, from what I understand, there's five uh, Penn, uh, Pennsylvania State designated career pathways that we're trying to instill into the children while they're in high school. Can you, can you uh, either one of you speak to what your involvement with the career pathways has been now? Well, there's been a lot of uh, involvement between industry and educators and providers and so forth to take and get this message out that uh, manufacturing is viable and it's changing and it's 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 good to get young people really involved in understanding what it is because most of them don't really understand what those jobs are or what it, what it means to be in manufacturing and so with the career pathway alliance and the, and the initiative going on this getting to those kids when they're in sixth and seventh and eighth grade and then as they continue to go through their high school to get them exposure uh, and there's a lot of things happening uh, for instance at General McLean they have a uh, manufacturing academy McDowell has a form of that and those are what's happening there is the students come out and they start to do uh, shadowing they come out and they do mock interviewing they're coming out, they're doing shadowing. So they're starting to learn what those jobs are and what they look like before they graduate. Therefore, they can make informed decisions on what do I want to do best? What, what do I like? What do, you know, what, you know, what's good for me? Now, is there like a series of testing that goes into trying to find out, okay, maybe this, this person, uh, this young person is uh, more towards manufacturing. This one might be more towards healthcare. Do you know how that all works, John? I, I don't. I mean, I can't okay. speak to the specifics there as far as testing, but, uh, you know, I think as, you know, teachers and parents, they, they probably know best, right? Yes. As they see them, you know, throughout school, what what do they do well? You know, the students themselves, I'm sure, recognize what they're strong at. Um, and, and we've worked with students, you know, doing shadowing like Jim's talking. But one thing I stress to students that I talk to is for for them, I feel it's more important to understand Maybe what they don't want to do. Check that off okay. the list. Yeah, early, right? The worst thing they could, they could do is spend time, whether it's education or or experience, in something they absolutely hate. Yeah, or don't like, or, or just would not have it. Like I know that I would never have a knack for construction. You know, my my saw cuts are always uh, off kilter, right? I mean, so you you can find that out when you're a kid and and find out what you uh, what you're not good at, so you can kind of gravitate to might be what you could be good at. Yeah, and and I think with the with the pathways, it, it helps define okay what's available. Um, you know, take take machining. What mm-hmm. what what are the available paths if I go down this road? Right. What are my options? Am I always going to be a machinist? Do I have options to become 
a supervisor? Do I have options to become a plant manager someday? Right. And, and so it's it's important to define what those opportunities are and what education needs to be paired with experience to get to that level that you want to get. When you're talking about the pathways and talking about careers with these young people, are you talking about the soft skills that are also needed? The idea of, of, of being on time and, and you know, uh, keeping your word and, 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 and integrity and honesty. And, and really, one of the biggest ones I see is resiliency or grit. Sometimes you have a bad day and you got to get back up and get back to work the next day, right? When you get a group of manufacturers around and they'll ask you, what do you, what do you want in an employee? The first thing they always say is we want somebody that is, is drug-free, shows up on time, is willing to learn, and is excited about their job and is willing to come to work and learn. Uh, that's always those soft skills, and sometimes that's the toughest thing to, to teach in, in some individuals. But what is really neat uh, in now what we're experiencing is that there's an excitement between industry and educators and and people uh, reaching out to these uh, young people and giving them these different opportunities. And I think the uh, high school administrators, counselors, and teachers and so forth are really starting to understand the different opportunities and the, and the different way than that there's an alternative to, to just going to college. Now, I've been, you've been in the business for a long time, Jim. Uh, is this, it, this is a relatively new um uh, situation is it that the silos are coming down, or the need has risen up that that we're kind of getting in desperate times, or or a combination of the but, or just are we just getting smarter about all this? Well, it's probably a little bit of a combination of of all of it. Yeah, but I think one of the things is the cost of education. I think the cost of education are driving parents and people to to think very seriously about that investment. Uh, where before you went to college. Yeah, it was expensive, but there was money there to cover it. But now it is, it is, it's really an investment. And kids are coming out with a very high, in some cases, very high uh, debt load, debt load and, yeah. and so forth in order. Yeah. And so they're, they're thinking hard about it. And I think that's driving a lot of it. Yeah, the uh, we just have a couple minute or two before the news. Um, wh- what do you think, John, as far as this kind of new focus on uh, on you know giving all the options to the children? Because you know a lot of schools uh, kind of m- make their name for how many how many of their student body gets admitted to college, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it's interesting, and and I I applaud the new focus. Um, I think it is important to give all options. Um, you know, kind of set set it in front of the students. And again, I think it's important for them to explore each one, mm-hmm. you know, and, and really identify um, what's going to work for them personally. And and I think the schools I've been involved with, I think they do a fantastic job of, of focusing on that. You know, some schools have a four-year plan to help identify, hey, this is the right path for you. This is what interests you most, right? And I'm, and I'm not saying college is bad, right? Uh, right. It's not. It's not for everybody. Um, and there are plenty of opportunities in manufacturing. What are you hearing from your recruiters from from that the, those gr- very green recruits the, those people right out of school? Uh, I mean, is is the concept of soft skills uh, a, a, an issue that you all have to deal with at Lord Corporation? You know, I don't. It's not an issue that we're currently dealing with. Mm-hmm. I will tell you, it's very important to the company. Um, soft skills are, are extremely important. Um, you, you know, there are there are roles we look at that. You know, you look at the soft skills and you may lean heavier towards those soft skills than you would the technical skills, right? That right. can be taught. 
Sometimes mm-hmm. those soft skills and, and people skills, you are who you are, right? And, and sometimes that's tough to change if you can change it at all or impact that at all positively. Yeah. You, yeah one, one bad apple could uh, really sabotage the esprit de corps of, of, a, of a company. With us, Jim Willats. He's the owner of Machining Concepts of Erie and involved with the Erie Regional Manufacturer Partnership. And John Stahl, he is the uh, Human Resources Manager at Lord Corporation and also the president this year at the Erie Regional Manufacturer Partnership. And John, what is the Erie Regional Manufacturer Partnership? It's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's, it's interesting and maybe the easiest way to understand it. So it was formed back in uh, 2014 by a group of local manufacturers and, and really, um, you know, they got together and said, hey, we have a problem here. You know, how, how do we solve it? The problem is finding qualified candidates for for these roles, for these technical roles. And and so the idea of the partnership is to um, really connect the the educators, the providers with students, with parents. Right. And, and make that connection. So the manufacturers define what's needed. Right. The educators or partners help develop and, and, and put plans together to make sure that students coming out of schools um, have have that skill set or those skill sets required. So really the focus is to develop the workforce and to make sure they have the skills required to support the manufacturer's needs. So when I when I heard this uh, group being formed, uh, um, you know, one of the major arguments was we've got 2,500 jobs available. And then you talk to, um, you know, the people in the unemployment lines, we've got 2,500 people that are unemployed. And, and there, you know, it's never the twain shall meet. What is, what is the rub there uh, of that conversation between, you know, uh, a, and this is back when unemployment was six, 7%, you know, that there was, there was this people seeking work, and these jobs available, but we couldn't we we couldn't marry the two. What what was what's the prevailing issues about that? Yeah, it's tough to say. I mean, I guess maybe I would take a guess at saying there's there's a skills gap potentially, right? So, um, you know, Jim mentioned blueprint reading, and and I guess some of the basics that you would expect uh, coming into a role, uh, you know, those those type skills. My guess is the skills gap, right? And and that's where. You know, this group is is really focused and to make sure we close that gap. You know, but, uh, are we at a point now because because now the work the available work pool has shrunk so much that we're willing to go a little bit further as a manufacturer to maybe uh, find the right person with character and then kind of bring them under our wing and and do that training in house. You, Jim, you're saying that there's on the job training available. Absolutely, you're seeing more apprenticeships now. You're in, not in just manufacturing, but in in all of your skilled trades in construction and plumbing and electrical and so forth. Uh, employers are just looking for good young people, and then they'll train them. And that's that's definitely the case. All right, so let's let's be specific as far as uh, for for from your perspectives, where are the key jobs? What and what would it take to get some of those jobs? Um, I, I mean, we all have these charts in front of us. I'm, there's, I mean, of course, uh, in the healthcare field, we know that you know we'll need nurses forever. It seems like right, there, we'll never have a nurse uh, glut. <laughs> you know, but what, you know what what else, what do we need in manufacturing? I mean, uh, what what are the what are the big holes? Well, in manufacturing right now, the three that the ERMP has concentrated on has been machining, which we've talked about quite a bit, welding, 
Uh, and there's a lot of need in jobs uh, there. And then also the industrial maintenance uh, megatronics. Uh, those are very important skills. And then you add to that the quality control functions. Uh, all of those are key uh, skills and individuals that individuals need to uh, uh, get trained in that'll help us. So what's a, what's, a, what's a kind of a course of action? I mean, where have some of your most recent recruits been coming from? Have they been coming from other manufacturing plants? Have they been coming from retail or from service industries? I mean, so think about some of your recent hires that have kind of been close to having those skills that you just mentioned. Yeah, so so for us, it's it may be a mix. Um, you know, some from other manufacturing um, plants around the Erie area. Uh, for others that I can think back, uh, we've pulled straight from uh, Erie County Technical School, right? Okay. So we've taken in, in, you know individuals that, that finish up programs there and and bring them on. You know, hey, we know their experience is is fairly limited. You know, they have their schooling and they've got experience through the tech schools, but um, we bring them in knowing that we're going to have to invest in training, but you know, so we have we have that as well. So we, it's kind of a mix for us. We bring in, you know, hey, fresh off the streets, you know, very little experience. And then we bring in, you know, somebody that may have 10, 15 years of, of experience under their belt already. What about you, you hear about welding that, you know, that the that the shipyard needs, you know, constant need of welders and things. And and there's supposed there's supposedly uh, adult programs that people could take at the Votech or uh, or at Tech After Hours in the city. Uh, talk about some of those again. We're, it, it just not enough people taking those classes. In many cases, not enough people taking them. In many cases, uh, when you talk about those welding programs or night classes, a lot of those welders require specific codes, specific code type welding, and specific skills. And those are a lot of times happy trained, uh, be done on the job also. But you've got, those are programs that uh, get people started uh, in the welding so that they can do that. Uh, in industrial maintenance or in machining, you've got to, the trade schools like EIT up in the mall. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been working hard at doing that. And again, they're having trouble. When you look at their programs, they, they're not enrolling enough people to fill the, wow. to fill the need. Now again, there's a uh, there's an expense involved, but according to uh, what we're going to hear later on from Janet Anderson, there's some state money available for training and things, or through CareerLink and, and such. Uh, uh, do you ever uh, you ever run into uh, um, young people kind of being able to avail themselves of some of that support for re for retraining and workforce development? Most of that training is available for uh, number one for individuals that are to get their soft skills, to get to be able okay. to get employed. That's the type of training that's really available. They try to get people so that they can get all those soft skills and get the work ethic. They can get to the employer to be on time, be a good employee. Then it's up to the employer to be train them further. Okay. Uh, it used to be years and years ago when they had the Job Training Partnership Act, they took and they would pay an employee to go to training for six months and learn a skill, and then the employer would hire them. Those types of programs don't exist anymore. Okay. And uh, so that's that's kind of been a, a change in the last 15 years on how things are approached. So the money that's available in many cases is for uh, getting people in employment, and those are just to get them in the door. Okay. And But again, some of, the, some of these roles, uh, there could be some on-the-job training for, for these things. Uh, especially for the three uh, three areas that you talked about. Uh, can you, can you uh, I don't know what your knowledge base is, but what about some of the other 
sectors. Uh, you were saying uh, again. We talk a lot about the that the construction workers are are really having a hard time getting just general laborers and journeymen, right? I mean. <laughs> I can't speak to that except right. we. I have had some conversations uh, w that the uh, skilled trades in general, like like say, just, the plumbers, electricals, just, yeah. they again they're having trouble getting apprentices and so forth. And so it's just it's about reaching into those uh, as your partnership goes. It's about reaching into the the younger people, trying to catch them early, and and really kind of communicating to parents that this is a very viable legitimate way for their for their children to go yeah the biggest skill the biggest gap is you have someone who graduates from high school they may try college but it's not for them so they go a little bit for six months or a year and then they drop out and then they go get a part-time job someplace and they meanwhile they have a car and then they take and get married or something happens and all of a sudden they start to have a lot of uh, life Life happens, and yeah. then all of a sudden, it's really hard to get into training. Mm -hmm. Then it's really hard to to break that. And so the the message is to get to individuals to look very seriously at saying, what are your options right as you graduate, and what's your best option? And like John said, knowing what you don't want to do, but knowing that uh, get involved in that, do it early, uh, and get that training early. Do you feel, John, that there's been enough? Um uh, communication education I, I mean this is kind of a relatively new narrative for us to hear uh that of all these openings and all this availability have we been telling the story strong enough in in recent years i think we're trying yeah um strong enough uh, good question you know i i will tell you i believe i truly believe the schools are hearing us Right. Um, and then I think some of the newer programs that you see at, at McDowell, at General McLean, at, at LaBeouf, right, they are definitely focusing and they know there's opportunities in manufacturing. Um, you know, so they're 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 starting to start up those programs again. You know, yeah. when when I was in school and I won't date myself, but going back quite a few years, uh, there were you know, we had metal shop, we had ag classes, we had wood shop. Right. So there's some of those transferable skills that were available and mm -hmm. that were taught now. You know, as schools get rid of those programs, okay, what goes away? Well, those skills, right? Yeah. So I think they're starting to see that, right? So, the, so this manufacturing academy that you're seeing at Jeremy McLean or at McDowell is a real uh, 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 boost for what you're trying to do. Yeah, and I think, I think that's saying, you know, they, they hear the message, mm -hmm. you know, that, that there, there was these gaps. They're trying to close the gaps. You know, so they're, they're hearing the message that, that their opportunities are available and that, you know, hey, they're, do, they're doing their job to help teach these things. So, so what are we talking about for salary and, and benefits and things? I mean, where, where is manufacturing at these days? I mean, again, we just had Jim Martin on talking about the $35 an hour. That doesn't necessarily exist uh, for an entry-level worker, but where, where are we at? Basically, for starting wage in, in machining, uh, entry-level, you're in that... 12 to 14 range and so forth. Once you begin to build your skills up and so forth, after three, four, five years, you can definitely be in that 20-ish range. Uh, and you may top out as if you're just going to stay in the machining area, just setting up and operating. And, and those you might top out around 20 to 25. But then when you move up from there, if you get into the management, if you move into uh, tool and die and you do some other things, it can go up from there. Uh, then you have the overtime, uh, and the skills are, uh, it kind of ends up, there is no real top. Wow. Okay. When we, when we talk about things like tool and die and some of those really, really 
high-end skills, uh, do they have to go back to school, or is that something that they can learn on the job as well? Is and is there a pathway that way, or uh, <laughs> that's that's a that's a good question, yeah, and a tough one, and and I guess. Well, do you do much uh, tooling at Lord? Yeah, we we have a tool room there, um, and and I'll tell you, I had the opportunity to be part of that team um, earlier in my career, and and what they what that team was capable of is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you that right now, uh, better than a lot of the engineers that I've worked with, right, as far as creativity, ability. Um, things that they can do is amazing. Now, what I'll say is I don't know that there's an education that's currently available. Like if if a high school student came to me and said, hey, I want to be a toolmaker when I grow up. Yeah. I'm not sure I have an answer. Of what, what as, his course of action should be. Right. Wow. I mean, I, I would I would highly recommend getting some some formal training in, in machining as far as what's available. Right. But then a lot of that may fall on the company to, you know, you know, train train that you know and, and we have provisions to do that with within our company you know we could start out as a trainee and they can progress up through the system and and that works it's it's time consuming right and it's an it's an investment um, and then and then like like your role as hr i mean that was a a total switch from your uh your engineering uh knowledge base um how does that happen in in what you know what's happening at 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 the corporate level that allows you to to kind of you know, hey, I'm going to learn, uh, you know, the intricacies of 401ks today, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting and it's, it's tough to say exactly how it happened, but, um, you know, it was an opportunity that, that presented itself and I looked at it and uh, realized there were some things that I could gain um, for myself in my career. Did you go back to college, like night school or something? No. No. You, just, you learned it on the job. On the wow. job. Yeah. Wow. So, so again, um, it, it's interesting how it, it came about, but it, it's been a great opportunity. There's things that I've picked up in this role that I never would have picked up in any role, whether mm-hmm. whether it be you know a leadership role or an engineering role. There's just certain things that you go through and experience that um, you can't gain that experience otherwise. And Jim, you know the classic the classic Erie or Erie County story, or even Crawford County story, is that toolmaker who you know is working for a larger shop and then says, you know what. I want to do this, and they start up something in their garage or start up something in a in a little rented uh, place. Somehow, you became an entrepreneur at some point. Can you tell a little bit about that story? That that the storyline. That's, that's what I did. I uh, worked for a company, and then eventually worked up into management, and, and had a couple other individuals I worked with, and we said, you know what, we can do this. And so we went out and we leased 4,000 foot of space and a couple of CNC machines and started machining. And today we have uh, 35 plus employees and uh, ship all over the world. And it's, uh, it can be done. It just takes, takes some hard work and good employees. And what you find with these young people that start to learn and have these skills, once they get the skills, then as they move up and through the organization, then other opportunities come throughout because they know already know the skill base yeah. they already know what the job is they already know what they're doing so then they can go out and say you know what now they can do they can purchase the materials or they can be the human resource person or they can move up into management and then the doors open up and so they can kind of find out what their skills are what their interests are and where their careers want want to lead them uh, we've been talking a lot about young people but i want to pivot for a second here because one of the biggest uh changes that we're experiencing in this generation uh, is that the baby boomers are hanging on a little bit longer. 
Yeah, and or or they're even like like I just did changing careers. You know, I was in operations at at a large church, and I said I'm going back to broadcasting. Uh, I left a an absolutely um, stable. I wouldn't call it cushy, but it was definitely stable and and and, and a great job to try a, a startup. And um, you know, and I think that 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 uh, willingness to do something different is still out there in the boomers you you might be fit, be able to filling some of these gaps with aging boomers uh would you speak to that is that i mean do you see are, are people running with their 30 and out at lord or, or are they sticking around because they just love the job yeah i mean you see we have a lot of long tenured employees there I, I think you know they're sticking around they love it. it that's one aspect the other aspect is um you know the cost of health care Oh uh, gosh, pre sixty five, right? You know, mm-hmm. you, you've got to you've got to cover that somehow, some way, right? And that's so. Yeah, if they've been if they've been there since they were eighteen, and they're forty eight, they're not ready to retire. I mean, no. maybe even at even not even at fifty eight. Correct. Incredible. Yeah, it's it's and that's what I see through my experience is it's it's the healthcare costs that really uh, put a stop to that. That, that quote unquote early retirement plan. Right? right. Right. How about you, Jim? Uh, are you, are you seeing any of the, of the kind of your age group hanging on a little bit? Uh, definitely. I think people are working an extra year or two. And what's interesting is the fact that, you know, the shortage we've got now is a lot because as a lot of the baby boomers are starting to back off or starting to retire or be part-time a, a little bit or retiring. And so you've got this gap and that's why even more people are needed. <laughs> because because they're they're wanting to slow down a bit. Huh? Yeah, we're talking to Jim Willits and uh, John Stahl. We're talking about hot jobs, and we're learning about machining and um, you said welding, welding, it, industrial welding? maintenance, in uh, the 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 industrial maintenance. Are we talking about uh, be, just kind of being able to roam around the plant and fix things, or for breakdowns? Are you always on call, or well, there's a lot of different. Uh, facets of that and so the people begin to specialize but it can be troubleshooting these computers on the cnc controls and the, the motor controls and all that type of stuff it's basically uh, putting robots in place and work holding type uh, automation uh, it can be programmable controllers uh, then you can get into building systems whether it's the air conditioning uh, so there's the machinery side there's the building side so it's it's really wide open yeah, a plant engineer is ex- exactly does that, right? It's a lot about the the uh, the kind of the physical plant construction, uh, the HVAC, and so on. Um, the the you mentioned robots. We got to talk about automation because that is the the major disruptor of the reason why, for example, our you know our our signature plant uh, in Lawrence Park used to have what eighteen thousand people there, and now is eighteen hundred. Um, you know, uh, a lot of that, it's automation, right? Uh, you just don't need as many people on the line anymore. Yeah. And, and I think with, with automation, it, it's important to understand, you, you know, as a business, if, if you're not automating, if you're not becoming more efficient, guess what? You're falling behind. You may not be as competitive. However, on the flip side of that automation, well, who is taking care of the programming of that automation? Who is developing that automation, right? So, Yes, there may be certain roles that were eliminated, let's say, but on the flip side, you've got individuals that have to be able to program those robots, right, mm-hmm. and, and and maintain those robots, if you will. So 
yes, uh, automation does help you streamline the process. However, you've got the support side that comes along with that. But robots have taken away the drudgery and the, and the mundane and the repeat, the repeat jobs, repetitive type jobs. And now give the individual the time to learn the skills to make their jobs more interesting and sure. to be able to do things and have much greater productivity and much more interest in what they're doing. So it's really changed the way the way jobs and what's required in the skill levels. And, and, you, and again, there's still all those soft skills that have to come into play when, you know, of showing up on time, of, of coming to work, coming to work clean. Um, and that, that just, it's, it's just the high priority and having the integrity, you know, to own up to something when something goes bad of, of kind of, uh, uh, having that, that contract with your employer. Right. Yeah. The other skill sets that are really important are the problem solving, being yeah. able to get to your root causes of your problems, to be able to take and work together as teams, your team building skills, uh, all those types of things really are so much more important today. Do you see, do you see those kinds of skills being developed you know, in our in our high schools and, and so on, because, again, that there's a you know, there's uh, that's that's one of those hard ones to, to build into. Uh, you have to have a little bit of the character, but you also have to teach. Hey, this is how we play together <laughs> as a team. Right. No, I believe in all the excitement that I experience when we're getting together with the teachers at the Career Pathway Alliances with these different meetings we're having and so forth, there is a really sense of excitement of what's happening and the communication that's going on. And a lot of those soft skills and problem solving stuff, the, the high school uh, teachers and counselors and stuff, they are, they're getting it. And, and they're starting to work with that at the high schools. And I think it's, it's really been great. So, yeah, if, if you're a parent or grandparent, you know, check in with your young person to see if they're making uh, uh, themselves avail available for all of the opportunities that are there. We're out of time. Thank you so much. Jim Willits, he's uh, the owner of Machining Concepts of Erie, and John Stahl, the human resources manager at Lord Corporation, and they're both involved with the Erie Regional Manufacturer Partnership and those Erie Together Career Pathways, so important for the future of of Erie Manufacturing. Are you are you guys bullish on Erie? Would you say that you've got a lot of uh, excitement for where Erie's going? I do. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, again, born and raised in this area. I've got a lot of faith in this area. So, yeah. We're glad to have with us from the Northwest Job Connect, Northwest Pennsylvania Job Connect, Janet Anderson. Welcome back to the program, Janet. Thanks for having me back. We, we, are, we are so glad that you were able to come. Uh, and kind of uh, help us unpack this hot jobs uh, issue here. And again, it's to me, it's it's complex. And so, um, but let's let's get you uh, let's get a little background again. Remind us what you do with the Job Connect to connect employers with employees and vice versa. Okay. Um, so I am the director of Northwest Pennsylvania Job Connect, which is the workforce development board here in the six county of Northwest, six counties of Northwest Pennsylvania. We are the policy arm of workforce development. Um, most people know of us through the Pennsylvania Career Link. Career Link is the program arm of uh, workforce development and we are the public workforce system here in northwest pennsylvania and again you're always talking to employers and employees to, to try to make those connections to meet the the kind of the real-time needs of, of those employers right that's right we work with um uh, individuals that are looking for jobs and helping them to get the training that they need um, as well as other supports 
um, to find jobs, and we match those uh, trainings with the employer's needs here in Northwest Pennsylvania. Let's talk about CareerLink for a second as far as, you know, uh, last time you were here, we were talking about some unemployment numbers and things. Since then, in the last three months, really our unemployment has kind of plummeted. I mean, we're are we at full employment, basically? We are. Um, this is what... Uh, economists call full employment. So it makes it very difficult for employers to find individuals to fill uh, positions that are being vacated for one reason or another. All right. So, um, you know, one of the things we talk about is educational attainment, and there's a two-edged sword with that, correct? So right now, um, when you think about the hot jobs, uh, how expensive is it to get the training you need for those hot jobs, if you will? So it depends on the job that you're looking for. Um, but I, it, I know that uh, in the area of healthcare, um, there are pathways, career pathways, that enable an individual to start out with um, a lower cost education so that they are able to get in and determine if they really like that field and then work their way up. In the area of manufacturing, where there's high demand for workers, um, we are looking at ways to do that um, and looking at non-traditional for the United States ways, things like apprenticeship, which enable an individual to go into um, the workforce, get paid while you learn. Um, so it's earned while you learn. That was always part of our heritage, wasn't it? But it did it go away? It it's minimized, I okay. think, over time. Um, but it it is on the job training. Many of those jobs are on the job training. So we need to get individuals into that, and the cost for that is relatively low as well um, as in healthcare. All right. So, um, you know, so there is some career pathways. There's some ways to, to go after. And when you say like a, a pathway, I'm thinking uh, it, like when it comes to healthcare, let's say your ultimate would be uh, to have a nursing degree or a bachelor's in nursing. But you might want to start as a, a health aide or some kind of a nurse assistant. Right. That's correct. They, many individuals go into training. Um, and we help them at the career link to find training um, for a health aid, for example. Um, we'll help to pay for that. We'll help to provide supportive services. And then they, as they complete that, they may decide that they want to go on for more training. Um, and at that point, we hope that they're able to pay for that training on their own and they continue their education. Some actually go all the way to registered nurse and beyond. So you're saying if you if you are unemployed right now and you're looking to retrain, there are dollars through this the state government to help you retrain. If you are a dislocated worker, you are eligible for training. If you are an individual that is unemployed and you meet the WIOA, the Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act, um, uh, requ eligibility requirements, mm -hmm. then we have dollars to help you. Yes. All right. So, but if you're just a, a graduating senior, maybe you took a couple of health classes at Votech or whatever. Um, we can help them. You can as help well. too. We can help. Wow. Um, it, if they're not eligible, if they do not meet those requirements, mm -hmm. we still provide services and can hook them up with um, uh, training and online. So basically, things. you don't have to go this alone or try to pick your, you know, healthcare uh, uh, educator, if you will. 
you know, some trade school or whatever, you can go to CareerLink, get things started that way. We call it stackable credentials. I like that. Um, and that way you go in and you get a credential and then you might be eligible for an entry level position and then you come back and you get additional credentials. Um, our board is currently looking at, I mentioned we're the policy arm, we're currently looking at a change so that it's not a one-time training fee but uh, available to individuals, but rather a continuum of training. We're talking to Janet Anderson. She's from Northwest Pennsylvania Job Connect and... Uh, uh, let's let's uh, get your perspective where the greatest needs as as you think about the jobs and and all the employers you talk to where where are you feeling the pressure so um there are a couple areas here in in Erie that um, we have looked into and we're hearing from employers on the healthcare side there is high growth healthcare finance insurance we see high growth um, in those jobs. On the manufacturing side, we see high demand. So uh, an individual and construction too, for that matter, an individual that likes to be, um, you know, use their hands and knee deep into it might be more interested in that path. Um, an individual who likes to help people might be more interested in the other. And you make the distinction, high growth means that a lot of earning potential there. High demand is just, they just need a lot of bodies in the door. So I think that um, both are changing. I think high growth actually means that they are showing that they need more bodies too, um, but they might need a, um, a different skill set than that is what is needed in the manufacturing or construction trade. Um, but both are changing um, because of the changes in the economy um, and the, the population drop. Both are automating. So both right. need STEM and math and skills that they never needed to have in the past. Do you are you sensing at all uh, from, again, your chair that uh, that uh, the young people coming out of the schools now that there's so much attention from the state level on down through the school districts on career pathways, are they coming out with a bit more uh, skill set than maybe even five years ago? I would say so. Um, our technical schools are, um, you know, our centers for technical education, CTEs, are um, formerly Votex, yeah. are in fact um, putting out students that are, have passed certain credentials before they graduate. Um, so that our, welder could go right to the job. Could go right to the job. And in fact, many of them are being hired before they complete. Um, they're going into co-ops, so they have the opportunity to be introduced to a, um, an employer before they're finished. And um, the same is true of healthcare workers. There are healthcare workers coming right out of high school with credentials that in the past were never available. Yeah, we were kind of getting a little bit of that from Char Bider talking about, you know, what they're doing at Tech After Hours and so on in the city. Right. Uh, we're talking to Janet Anderson, again, the director of Northwest Pennsylvania Job Connect. Um, uh, the what about upward pressure on salaries now that we now that we're in this situation where tight workforce are are employers relenting and rising up uh, salaries or is it still really difficult to kind of thread that needle? So um, employers that are smart are looking at all options. Um, I think that they're all getting creative with the way that they are managing 
um, their employee, their hiring practices. Um, some are um, reducing the requirements um, and others are more interested in rather than reduce the requirements, bring someone in as an apprenticeship in an apprenticeship as an apprentice mm-hmm. and work them up to the level that they want. Um, and as a result, the salaries are increasing um, because you now are not bringing someone in off the street um, and and keeping them at that level salary with the increased education um, and the requirements to be a registered apprenticeship. Um, you must increase their salary. Wow. So we are seeing that. Okay, so there's a little bit of regulation kicking in at that point. Um, but I think employers yeah. are doing it anyway. Janet, you are the director of the Northwest Pennsylvania Job Connect, and we're, we're putting together the employers and the potential employees. Um, you know, as far as um, rewards, you know, what about benefits? Are, you know, are, we, are, are employers making... Um, these packages more and more attractive that you can see, you know, salary benefits, quality of life? So um, I I would say yes. And each uh, employer does what um, is best for them. Um, But when we had the layoffs from GE, we had several of the dislocated workers indicate that they had received jobs, um, perhaps with a, a slightly lower salary, but better benefits than mm. they were receiving at GE. Wow. Um, so it, it does uh, appear as though the employers are um, upping their game because they recognize that they want the best and brightest in their facility, whatever type of facility it is. And so if they can't raise the salary, um, they are looking at other ways to make it attractive, like benefits. Can we? You you mentioned some uh, sectors here uh, in in healthcare. Uh, again, huge demand for um, that home health aid and so on. Uh, but that's a that's a tough job and doesn't pay a lot. Uh, uh, can you point to like maybe a position that uh, would be highly rewarding and 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 be able to pay the bills in in healthcare? Uh, and it has a lot of growth potential, I guess. Sure. Um, I think that nursing, mm-hmm. um, I think radiology, um, I think even getting into the hospital and being a part of the, um, the, the team that's cleaning the hospital, I think there are great opportunities for advancement um, there because if you like it, you might become the next nurse. There you know, the you know what? That's, I, I worked my way through college cleaning floors and walls in the hospital mm-hmm. four years. Great job. Right. You know, uh, yeah, it was just fantastic. The, the work environment, you know, I think it, it uh, provides an individual a great work ethic and a reality of what that business looks like mm-hmm. so that they can determine, is that the direction that they want to go? Yeah. You have to think about all the different things that a hospital does from accounting to, to food service and healthcare, of course. So, so in manufacturing, if I can yeah. just um, yeah. refer to a, a company in Crawford County, um, Ainsworth, uh, and now Smuckers, yeah. now Smuckers, um, they, um, I, I had on my board one of their uh, HR people, and um, they talked often about moving people that were sleep that were sweeping the floors into manufacturing. They brought them in at that level to determine how well they worked 
Do they have what we are looking for? And if so, they provided them training. And those individuals could be fast-tracked way up into the organization fairly quickly if they continued to grow and show show, um, a work ethic that the company was looking for. When you talk about finance and insurance, again, a lot of automation has come to banking, but there's still teller jobs? Or what, what, what would that be? Well, in in finance, so um, they, I mean, you'll have the backroom operations, um, board reports that need to be done in finance. You have the loan um, organization that's lending for manufacturing or other employers and businesses, as well as the homeowner. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are a lot of uh, banking jobs that go beyond teller. Um, and as we automate and see perhaps fewer tellers, and some people. People my age don't like that. Um, I hear it from them. <laughs> it's um, it, it's not that there aren't other opportunities in the bank. And again, you 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 mentioned manufacturing. Um, uh, what about construction? A, a, a lot of opportunities there. Or I, I do hear from the people that are in the trades that they're desperate for help. Um, we are hearing that we have a a. a building and construction industry partnership. And we hear from those folks all the time, their need and desire for additional employees. Um, And the great thing about going into the trades is that they'll pay for your training. Um, So there are plenty of opportunities for individuals out there um, and, and lots of demand and need for workers. Uh, Do you see a situation where baby boomers are hanging on either for necessity you know, maybe they got destroyed in the the downturn and they're trying to rebuild their nest egg or they just like to work. I mean, we're healthier. We live longer. Um, and is that a good thing for the workforce? So um, I would say that, yes, people are hanging on longer um, and living longer and taking advantage of that. It is good for the workforce because we have an aging population. And as we start to wind down um, with the last of the baby boomers, you see a sharp drop in the number of workers or population available to work. So having them hang on or people like me hang (laughs) on um, is good for um, the diversity of our economies. Um, We need to get people skilled and trained in those professions. If you look at manufacturing, you have um, high demand. You may not have as high growth as you might see in some of the other areas, but high demand. So it's one of those things that, you know, if you have 10 more years to work of of usable workability, you know, let's say you're, you know, knocking on 60, uh, you could go work for a plant and and still be a, a valuable employee. Absolutely. If you bring the skills they're looking for, they want you. Wow. And um, boomerangs, young people that maybe went uh, away to college, you know, kind of landed there for a while and now are coming back. Any any uh, take on that at all? So um, I, I think that our you know, it's one of those things where many, my kids both graduated from college. Many of the baby boomers pushed their children to go to college. And you have to look at your overall economy. We have jobs here. It may not be exactly in the field that they are looking for, but we have a lot of uh, colleges. So those are higher trained, higher educated. We have a lot of 
hospitals uh, and medical centers. Those are higher trained um, individuals. We have Erie Insurance. Um, Our highest number of employees is at Erie Insurance. So those are opportunities for those boomerangs coming back. Um, And as long as they are in those fields or willing to get into those fields, that presents an opportunity. But remember, the higher you go up and the, and the, um, organization, the fewer jobs there are. There's sure. only one CEO. Right, right. It is, it is a pyramid, isn't it? It is. Janet Anderson, the, the director of the Northwestern Pennsylvania Job Connect. Um, again, if people need services, they go to CareerLink. What's the website? Uh, www.nwpajobconnect.org okay. is to the workforce system in the six counties. And um, they are working on the PA career link uh, website right oh, are now. They really? So it's under construction. So, yeah, but you can always just go to the go office. To ours. Yeah. Right. Okay. Thank you so much. We appreciate you sharing your insights. Uh, I'm excited that there's jobs, that there are hot jobs, and there's uh, lots of opportunity here in Erie, Pennsylvania. Can I just make yes. uh, one comment? Um, I want to give a shout out to Erie Together. Erie Together has done a great job for our community in helping to develop those career pathways and helping to match employers' needs with um, the demand of job seekers. They're working with us on out-of-school youth, which is a, a huge benefit to us and to our employers. So I want to make sure that everyone knows the work of Erie Together um, and Mary Beulah, her heart and soul is in this and she's done great things for Erie.